Welcome to Protecting Your Assets, the show about protecting people, property, and most importantly, protecting your ass. I'm your host, Lucky Luciano, and I'd like you to join me for a fast-paced and often fiery discussion about security issues with my co-host, Brian the Angry Man Claimant. Whether we're piercing the veil of security, talking your duty of care, or raving about the latest technology, we'll share our thoughts on the issues, the trends that are impacting security today and into the future. And now, let's talk about protecting your assets. Hello, Luciano Cerdoni here from Protecting Your Assets. And on today's episode on public transit and safety, we are going to have a special guest, Bill Grodzinski. Bill served 33 years with the Ontario Provincial Police, retiring as the Chief Superintendent and Commander of the OPP Highway Safety Division. Some of his experience in leadership positions over the years include professional standards, provincial communications, command, critical incident, public order command. Bill's honors include the induction as member into the Order of Merit of the Police Forces or Police Services and recipient of the Ministry of Transportation Lifetime Achievement Award for his contributions to road safety. Following his retirement from the OPP, Bill served with the Metrolinks for eight years as the Director of Security and Special and Chief Special Constable, where he was responsible for Special Constable Operations, Revenue Protection, Emergency Management, as well as Corporate Security. During his career at Metrolinks, Bill received the Links Award for Individual Leadership and was the recipient of the Ontario Women in Law Enforcement Presidential Award. Bill is also a lifetime member of the Ontario Association of Chiefs of Police and maintains a lifelong passion for travel and photography. Let's get on with episode eight. Hello, folks, and welcome to Protecting Your Assets. I'm Lucky Luciano Sedoni, and with me is Brian the Angry Man Clayman. On today's episode, which is uh, season three, episode eight, we're going to be talking about a hot topic in the news over the last few weeks, if not months, and that is public safety on transit when we're using public transit. And with us, we got a very special guest and uh, industry veteran, uh, Bill Grodzinski. Uh, formerly of the OPP, but uh, more recently and more sort of to the point for this podcast, uh, he was the uh, head security guy over at Metrolinks for a number of years. So welcome, Bill. We're really excited to have you on the show today. My pleasure. My pleasure, Luke. Brian, any opening words before I get into a quick intro and then uh, the discussion? You had told me to keep it tight because people <laughs> want to hear Bill and not me, so no. Just I'm not going to argue that. It's, it's yeah. definitely the truth. All right. So I'm going to get into this. Um, and as I said, uh, Bill is the retired chief special constable for Metrolink, so he's got a lot of expertise to offer on the topic. Certainly, a lot of interesting stories to share with us today, as as we found out leading up to the uh, to the episode. Um, but I want to give some background in terms of uh, the public transit system in Toronto specifically, because that's where we're based. But uh, honestly, I don't think anybody on the call would disagree that uh, the th- the same things that we're experiencing here are applicable to any public transit system, certainly in in most major cities. Um, and so what we want to talk about today is what's happening. <laughs> how did it get this way? And how can we fix it if it's possible? You know, what's the way forward? Um, so what I want to do is to sort of give some people some numbers in terms of how big the system is, because I really didn't really appreciate how big or how many people uh, go through the system on a daily basis, typically before COVID hit anyway. Um, and so the TTC, for example, has been around since the 1900s. I was surprised it was that old. But I guess they're taking into account uh, surface transit as opposed to the subways. That came along a little later, I would think. Uh, but half a million trips per year uh, is what they were averaging before uh, COVID hit. Um, and it is Union Station is the busiest hub in uh, in Canada with 300,000 people going through that every day. And it's the third largest in North America. Metrolix, comparatively, uh, has been around since 2006, although if you Trace it back to its GO train heritage. It goes back to the 1990s or 80s, I, thought, I want to say. I can't remember off the top of my head, Bill. Yeah. Um, but one thing I found interesting, and this is off the Metrolink site, they have 400,000 vehicles. Is that correct? Or is that a typo? 400,000 vehicles. Vehicles, buses, tra- It sounds like, I guess, if you include cars and trucks and all that it, kind of stuff. Yeah, if you included every single coach and every single bus and every single vehicle, that still sounds high, but that's it, it's a big organization, as as you said, Luke. It's it's got a lot of moving parts. I was surprised at that number and a hundred million passengers. Just a quick disclaimer, though, Luke does drink a little bit before and while he does research, so you probably maybe it was like four thousand or forty thousand. No, it says four hundred k right on the site. I will take. Well, a- 
<laughs> send it oh, to okay. you. And by the way, you also said half a million riders a year. You mean a week or a day? No, it's, it's half, a, half a, 500 million trips oh, per year. Oh, you didn't um, say 500 million. Luke, what are you drinking? Is it coffee or <laughs> Get it right. You, uh, I got to get back into the bourbon. Okay. All right. So listen, what we're talking about today is uh, the rise in violence, obviously. Uh, that's just part of it. Um, and it's interesting because, you know, after losing 50 to 80% of their ridership over COVID, uh, you know, now they're desperately trying to get those riders back. And at the same time that you're trying to, to bring those riders back, you're experiencing all these issues that we're reading about in the in the newspaper. Um, and I think about it, when I think about it, it's got to be pretty scary sitting down on those platforms. You know, the, the GO train's a little different because you're out in the open um, and the perception is a, little, is a little different. But when you're in a subway and you see that long, dark hole with the pit, um, and you start thinking about just standing there, mind your own business, and all of a sudden somebody just comes up and pushes you, which is what's happening. That's got to be scary, certainly for smaller people. Like I'm a pretty big guy, and I and I'd be worried. I can't imagine, you know, children and and teenagers, and women who are out there at nighttime, what what's going through their head with these types of things happening out there. Um, but I also wanted to hit on one thing before I turn it over to you guys, and that is that these aren't new problems. The problems have been around, um, if not in Toronto, certainly in other public systems. For a long time, um, we remember, uh, as we were talking before the show, the Greyhound uh, incident back in, uh, I think it was Alberta in 2008, where a guy off his medications um, stabbed a student who was just sleeping and then decapitated him, unfortunately. Um, so that was on a bus, Greyhound bus. Um, suicides in the Toronto TTC subway system, I mean, that's been around for, for years, even when I went to university and I took it. It was it was already a known fact that people did did that. I think that what we've seen in recent weeks and coming out of COVID is that there's been a, a definite shift from maybe sort of like desperation or or mental illness type of, of incidents to actual spikes in criminal activity, um, addiction, people using those 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 um, facilities as shelters, which creates a whole bunch of other different uh, you know challenges for security, um, trespassing issues. Mental illness, obviously, is, is, a, is a big one. So all these things are starting to come to the fore, and they're really starting to change the dynamics of what's going on in those tunnels and what's going on on those buses, despite the fact that we've deployed, you know, well, we hope that we've deployed 80 officers, but there hasn't really been much of a difference since they've been deployed. And, you know, we were just talking about it, Bill, before going on the air, how you've been monitoring it over the last week since we've talked about doing the, the podcast, and and you, you know, they're, they're, continuing, they're continuing to happen. So... You know, with that sort of as a backdrop, I'm going to turn it over to Brian, I guess, first. Let's give it over to you first to say hello and then uh, turn it over to Bill to talk a little bit about what's going on, what's been his experience and and uh, what he has to say at this point in terms of what he's seen. Hello, everyone. The only thing I'd like to add before I give it to Bill is that there's a the concept of perception versus reality and what you perceive becomes a reality. And I just don't know if the situation is truly as bad as the perception is, or if the perception is making it worse. And Bill, over to you really for your comment and your thoughts. Yeah, thank you guys. In terms in terms of this this issue and uh, my background, I, you know, I came from the policing world and after 33 years, I was fortunate enough to land in Metrolinx uh, in 2012. And in terms of, you know, what I see now versus what I saw then, uh, it, it is completely, you know, it's, it, it is night and day. And I'm not just speaking for Metrolinx, but even the TTC. And, and recognizing in, in 2012, and, and Lucas touched on this, you know, as long as there's been urban transit, there's been issues on, on urban transit. And everyone's familiar with the, the dark days of the New York City subway back in, in the day, uh, and then the work that they've done over the years to try and improve things. But certainly, you know, the 30 second answer to, you know, what's changed, I think certainly the way things were before COVID and, and the way things are now are, are completely different. And there's there's a variety of reasons for that, I, I think. And I'm, I, I don't claim to be an expert on any issue. I, I, I'm, I always say I'm a practitioner. But certainly the issues that existed on the, whether it's TTC or YRT or, or OC Transpo, you know, pick a transit agency anywhere in Ontario. There was always issues, but prior to COVID, the trains and buses are full. The stations are busy. You, you touched on Union Station, you know, and it's at its peak, 300,000 uh, customers traveling through there each day. It's, you know, as you know, it's a happening place. Even after hours, it was always a busy place. All of a sudden, you shut things 
down and all the issues that were there around people with addictions, mental illness, uh, homelessness, uh, the criminals looking for opportunity, all of a sudden, the vast majority of people are gone. And, and what we're left with are much more obvious uh, evidence of those that need assistance. And, and during the pandemic, uh, I, I can tell you that, you know, Metrolinks, the TTC, City of Toronto, City of Toronto Security, particularly around Union Station campus, there was enormous amounts of effort made to try and remedy the folks that were, you know, using Union Station as, you know, at one time it was the only place you could find an open washroom anywhere in the downtown core. The only place you could plug your phone in so you keep, in, in, you know, and it was the only place it could go when it was warm. So there was a lot of work done to try and, and deal with that. And then as we've moved through the pandemic and things have returned to, quote, more normal, um, those issues haven't gone away. And, you know, obviously, and, and I'm not here to, to, to rehash everything that uh, is in the newspapers almost daily around what's happening in the TTC. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the violence we're seeing here is obviously, um, you know, reached a, a level where the premier's involved, the mayor, uh, the 80 officers uh, being added on overtime. Um, and everyone's, there's a full court press to deal with that. But I just want to circle back and say the one thing when I landed in Metrolinx in 2012, even though I was hired as a police officer, retired police officer, I was, it was made crystal clear to me, Bill, you're not here to turn this into a police force. Do not want a police force. We want customer service. We want the transit safety officers providing customer service and keeping our customers comfortable and safe. So I got that. But I took a look around because this, this world was new to me and I discovered something that I probably already knew. Most transit agencies in, in Ontario don't have police services looking after them full time. They have the local police that come when they're called. And depending where you went, TTC has special constables, much like uh, Metrolinx did. OC Transpo has special constables. Other agencies didn't. And, and what you saw was each transit agency looking after their own patch with different approaches, some working more closely with police and others not wanting the police. So when we started to see the issues around the TTC, the one thing that was missing that was in existence when I arrived was a dedicated transit patrol unit of, of sworn police officers, Toronto police, assigned to work the TTC. Mm -hmm. And they were there because I worked with them. And mm -hmm. they were dedicated to the TTC. And there's a, a whole history that goes back to 2010 and, and uh, chief of police at the time and the, and the chair of the police services board having this discussion about eliminating TTC special constables and replacing them with these 80 Toronto police officers. So fast forward, uh, you know, during the budget cuts over the last several years, the transit dedicated transit police agency that Toronto had gone. Ironically, it's back on overtime with the same number of officers. Um, and you can argue, you know, whether that's the right thing or a wrong thing, but clearly something had to happen. So I'll just wrap up by saying, you know, I, I know you guys use the term the good, bad, and the ugly. The, you know, the, the good is, I think, there is now national recognition uh, around the issues around transit because this is not a Toronto uh, issue. And Luke did some some homework. Um, I did the same sort of you know you know environmental scan across Canada. There is not a major not a major urban center that's not struggling with this right now. And Vancouver, Edmonton, and Calgary in particular have challenges that are almost as big as what the TTC face. Uh, SMT and in, in Montreal's got a whole variety of issues. So. This is not unique. So the good is, I think nationally, we recognize around transit safety and security, we've got an issue. TTC, you know, because they have, they're, they're at the center of the Toronto media, they're front and center. And make no mistake, they've had some really difficult, horrible, horrible crimes take place. Mm -hmm. Innocent victims minding their own business, either being pushed on the track or far worse. So, you know, that's, that's the good. The bad is, how do you deal with this? Because it's, it's you know, Everyone knows that crime is not solved by adding more cops, not in the long term. You know, there's, you know, there holds all kinds of theories around, you know, what causes criminality. And if you've got an issue like we do in the TTC right now, clearly, yeah, throwing more uniforms at it, throwing more police resources is a short-term fix. But ultimately, you need to get to the root of addictions, homelessness, mental illness, the getting the customers back. On, on the trains and, and into the stations. Those 300,000 customers were in Union Station every day. Things may not be quite as bad because there's more eyes, there's there's more people around, and you know, and I think you touched on it. 
if you're alone in a, in a, on a dark platform and, or a dark tunnel and Metro only has lots of dark tunnels too, um, you immediately don't feel as safe. But if you're part of that herd of 2000 people getting off the train and there's one person in the tunnel that's doing something that would make you uncomfortable by yourself and you're surrounded by all those other people, you're more comfortable. So this is a big issue and it needs big answers and it needs more than just throwing more cops at the, the yeah. issue. Uh, it really does need a fundamental look at how we do transit safety and security in Canada. I'm not advocating that you know TTC needs a police force or Metrolink needs oh. a police force. May they may? Yeah, it, it, we, and I ahead. want to get to that, Bill. I'm sorry, but you had said when you were hired, you were told by your employer, Metrolinks, at the time that they do not want a police force. No. Let me ask you quite honestly: was that a mistake? In the sense that I've always maintained, and I give the analogy that you're having a heart attack. When you're having a heart attack and you go to emergency, they do dramatic stuff to keep you from dying. And then once they stabilize you, they start talking about your diet and lifestyle and other types of things. If if the transit is having a heart attack right now, don't we need a police presence? The people that are doing the criminality, there may be reasons of how they got there, but that doesn't matter when they're on the track cutting your throat. So may that have been a mistake? And I don't want to put you in a hard uh, uh, position. No, but it, I it, believe it does because transit is a microcosm of society. Yeah. Well, there, there's there's no easy answer because sometimes the more uniforms and more people with guns you have around, the less secure you feel. And, and it, you know, I've done a lot of international travel, and if you go to a place and there's a whole bunch of people with machine guns, yeah. that doesn't make you feel safe. So you know, having said that, the debate around how to properly, you know, police. And when I say police, I mean, with a small P, how, how do you keep customers safe and secure on transit or anywhere else, whether it was the mall or what have you? There's a time and place to have, uh, you know, police presence. When I came in 2012, you know, you know, the whole notion of, of we didn't want to make this a police force, you have to sort of peel that back and, and say, well, what about policing do you not like? The fact that good police services have strong customer focus, have good community relations, have phenomenal leadership. Sometimes people look at policing as, as all bad or all good. You know, there's a whole variety of reactions to it. The The notion that in, in 2017, we went to, an, uh, it was an international conference he, uh, headed by the, the transit police in Vancouver, a phenomenal conference. Uh, London, uh, 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 first transport police were there from London. Uh, New York City, Washington, representatives from across Canada and a variety of other security agencies. And where I'm going with this, the, the Ontario folks, all the special constable chiefs or security leads, we're sitting at a table in this room full of people, and we're hearing about, you know, transit policing and, you know, capital P with the police badge and, and all the accoutrements of policing, and going, hmm, is this something we should be pursuing in in uh, in Ontario and it, it was always a discussion about how best to do this recognizing each of our cultures was different and I think that is part of the, the issue as well is each transit agency has a different culture different perspective and a different approach and a different budget on how to do this so this is a long-winded way of saying I think there has to be a, a very uh, thoughtful discussion and about what Vancouver did in establishing a transit police force mm -hmm. service, whatever you want to call it, but it's the police. And, and I follow them on Twitter and they've got, they've got all the programs that the OPP and Toronto police do. And from what I see, they're focused on customer service and keeping people safe. And they were created because they serve, you know, a large geographic area that has a whole variety of, of different communities. And we had the same conversation back in 2017 at the table. Well, if Vancouver is doing this, why doesn't, and it wasn't about just whether TTC does it or Metrolinx does it. You know, what about an integrated police service that would service Mississauga, Brampton, Metrolinx, TTC, the whole GTHA? And, you know, you have that conversation with some of the bosses, you know, we had back then. And they, they looked at me like, this is crazy talk. And, you know, even though I come from a policing background, I still don't advocate the solution to this, you know, create the TTC police service or the Metrolinx police service. But I think we fundamentally need it. You know, there needs to be, and I saw this as not Bill Krasinski's original idea. I've got, I've got the date, and and um, it came it came out of Calgary, Edmonton, talking about a national summit on transit safety and security for Canada. 
-hmm. and how best to do this for Canada, because it's not just a TPC issue. So I think fundamentally there needs to be a, a, a broad stroke, you know, and not, you know, this, you know, six month study with a whole bunch of recommendations going to shelf and never, mm -hmm. but some quick actions that can be done immediately to try and, and, you know, put, put, you know, the finger in the dike of, of some of the issues. And some of them have been tried around addictions and homelessness at Union Station. As I mentioned, there's a program called Streets to Home in, in Toronto. And, and we had a variety of people working back at the beginning of the pandemic. Little known fact, and this wasn't Bill Grzynski doing this, was special constables of Metrolink recognizing there's a problem with people living in the benches at, at Union Station. And what did they do? Did they arrest them, put them in handcuffs? No, they said, do you need some fresh socks? Do you need some deodorant? They had kits. They, these constables figured out these folks needed toothbrushes and deodorant and fresh socks and underwear. And they were collecting them and buying them on their own money. And we heard they were doing that. Phil Verster, the CEO of Metrolink, says, wow. Can we, you know, do more? And and we looked at a variety of different things, including tent cities and and and, a, and you know some very non-traditional thinking. But like everything else, it gets really complex really fast yeah. because you know there's so many fingers in the pie around Union Station. Yeah. I have it up on my screen here, and I, I won't go through it right now. But I, I just looked at how many stakeholders are involved in keeping people safe and secure around Union Station, and it's a two-page list. Please. So. It's it's a, this. I'm doing what I do. I do. I talk too much sometimes. Yeah, no, no, it's not a problem. I just want to jump in and add up to that because sorry, I didn't want to cut you off. Did you have something? No, no. Did you want to get your point? No, I, I'm just saying that this this is an important issue. That this is the time. You know, now is the time to say, what do we? You know, this is the. <laughs> so there's a poster behind me, and it says the leader's job is to look into the future and see the organization not as it is. But as it can become, I think I think leaders, not just security leaders, but I think transit leaders, the CEO of the TTC and, and Phil Verster, who I, I know quite well from Metro, like this is a time for them to come together and say, OK, what can we do and how can we do it so that 10 years from now, the TTC is the safest place in Toronto. If you want to be safe, you go to the TTC or a Metrolink station, pick one. These are the, the, the oasis of, of, you know, so the whole notion of safe space, how to do it, and, and how does a transit agency become involved in, in societal issues that are causing the root causes of, of you know, the impact to our customers, their customers. That's, where, that's exactly where, where, where I wanted to jump in and, and highlight, because you've done, uh, you know, Brian's question was about the policing aspect, and you've done a lot of, um, you know, comments about what transit can do to better secure their operations, but this issue, I think, it cannot be solved just by transit, you know, and no. developing that customer service. As good as it is, there's it's a much bigger issue to me. It's sort of like uh, society is society's failures have dumped all their social issues on police, and this is similar to that. Like all of our failures in terms of housing and taking care of the mentally ill, well, where are they going to go to? There's a nice bus down the street. There's a nice subway station I can get shelter at. So. You know, and it starts conjuring up images of places like New York City, where, you know, you talked about earlier, where there's people living in abandoned tunnels and things like that. Like, it's not a, an ideal solution, even though you may you may have the best customer service, police service on that transit system. Society has to step up and engage with you to make to, to make those problems go away. Yeah, absolutely. It, you know, and it ties into some of the other things we're seeing uh, around, you know, the, from looking at the, the states and the simplest way of calling them, the red blue issues. So that's this whole polarization and the inability to have a conversation. Everything has to be yelling at each other. And on this issue, it's so easy to point at, you know, pick one, point at the Toronto police or, or pick up uh, point at the special constable program in TTC. You know, they're not going to solve this. And so this, that's why I'm saying this, this issue is, is broader than, you know, safety on a platform in the TTC. It's about what kind of city does the city of Toronto want to be? Uh, there are article in, in the, in the media is I was reading through some of the, the things around safety in the city right now, but the, you know, the whole notion that as a society, you know, they talked about Toronto, the good. And that, you know, we're all yelling at each other <laughs> and you, 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 you have to be so careful. This this case, the, the guy walking with his dog in Schaumburg, was this quiet little burb, and he, you know, whatever he did to the car that was speeding by, they shot him. Like, like not once, like freaking a dozen times. Like, holy jumping. Like, so I think we all, as a, as as a country, as a society, and and as you know, as 
people in, I would say, in, in leadership positions, because we're all leaders. Every single person, and I always used to say, it's not about the, the rank on, 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 your, on your shoulder. It's leadership without rank. And I think, you know, the leaders uh, that have a responsibility around this, and I think that's all of us, we, we, we need to do better. And we need to be coming up with some solutions and, you know, coming up with some quick fixes and, you know, putting, putting uniform police officers on, on the platform is a quick fix. Uh, Luke, you touched on it. Um, reading some of the, the the commentary around that has it made it better? Well, I don't know, but uh, you know, the, the one thing I, I will say, and I want this front and center because I, I wanted to get this out right in the beginning, is I'm not an expert around the special constable program. Uh, you know, I came into it late in my my life. I became a special constable, which I was very proud of. But I, I wanted to say. I've had an opportunity to interact with a lot of the, the folks running safety and security for transit, you know, not just in Toronto, but up in Ottawa with Jim Babe, who recently retired there. But the TTC Special Constable Program, and if you Google it, there's a whole bunch of stuff, you know, good, bad, and otherwise. But I've interacted with significant numbers of, of the people that were the uniform as a special constable and had TTC, and they are good people. Mm-hmm. They are dedicated. They they have been heroic. The Young Street van attack. They were first on the scene. Uh, they did first aid. They comforted victims. As 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 a, you know, the people that wear the uniform, looking after TTC. And I'm not saying some aren't better than others. Or you know, as we always say, the top five percent, the bottom five percent, everyone in the middle. They they have a good service. And the you know, so don't put this on the special constable program. Don't put this on the people you know in charge of TTC. Because I know they're good and they're dedicated, and there has been a, as I've alluded to earlier, there's been a series of, you know, chief special constables come and go, but the ones there was a term that Metrolink's special constables use, and, and they came up with it themselves and are very proud of it. They call themselves the Silverbacks, and the the the, the significant number of, of uh, uh, Metrolink special constables were hired in '88, 1988, and, and now they're starting to retire. But any of those those folks that came around '88-ish, they they're very proud of being in the position for as long as they are, and they call themselves the Silverbacks. But they say it with pride, and, and they have seen it all, and, and they have seen ebb and flow, and, and the different programs come and go. So this isn't about the quality of special constables or the quality of the people responsible for security on, you know, pick one, TTC, YRT, any of them. The people doing the job for the vast majority, they care. Uh, they've seen, and, and Luke, you talked about the suicides in the TTC, and, and uh, it's pretty common, and, and anyone that runs, uh, you know, buses and, and trains and, and Metrolinks is not immune. And the folks looking after people on the platforms have seen people are going out to those tragedies. So... Uh, they do a tough, tough job, and, and I was always in awe of um, you know the folks that had been doing this so long because they had they had been through a, a lot. And yeah. um, so, can I just yeah, jump I, in there, Bill? Just just jump in again. That the uh, you know you're absolutely right. I, I used to take the go train into uh, to Toronto every day when I was working downtown, um, and I was um, you know I, I I was able to witness a number of incidents where uh, the security team, the, the special constables came on board and had to deal with, quite frankly, ignorant people that I, I would have smacked, you know, when I carried a badge, I would have taken a, di- a different no, approach. No. But they were, they were, they were exceptional at their job, given their restraints and, you know, what they have to work with. I also wanted to add that, yeah, we're sort of bashing public transit in, in, in some of the challenges they're having, but there are also a lot of things that they're doing very well. Or that they're trying to 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 implement that that speak to safety. You know, you got the barriers, you've got the special programs that sort of like see it, report it, that type of thing. Uh, yellow panic bars. So there are a video surveillance on all on the buses and the streetcars. I don't know if they're on the go trains yet, but certainly the the TTC has video on every every one of their uh, units. So there there is a, there has been a lot of progress in 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 making the at least giving them the tools to make it a more secure system, but. I think the problem lies more with just the people side of things, and they've seemed to gone off the rails, and there seems to be no coming back from. And, and from, I want to, I want to add something to that. Like Bill talked a lot about leadership, and and I think we talked uh, off air, Bill, about this. That I have a family member that was a special constable with TTC. He's now with York Regional Police, and he would tell me what they were confronted with, uh, and the the nature of the uh, deviance and, and criminality that they deal with. 
And he was saying he and his peers, and one of the reasons he left was they didn't feel supported. They didn't feel supported by management, that no matter what they did, if there were people with agendas and tried to spin it the wrong way, they were found to be expendable. And that was sort of demoralizing. Is that part of the problem also that we've got young men and women or older men and women doing the job, not really getting supported, not necessarily by the chiefs of police or special constables, but by the organizations, the Toronto Star, the public, people that have an axe to grind. Like I know with security guards, they're always on the short end of the stick. And they're the ones, especially at the big office towers downtown, you've got some big entitled tenant that doesn't like the fact that the security guard didn't say good morning to them, makes a complaint, and next thing that security guard is disciplined type thing. Is that part of the problem? Yeah, so I, I think you've touched on something. So when people say we don't want the police, well, layer that back a bit. What do the police have? <laughs> Legislation, oversight, statutory <laughs> obligations, police services boards, enormous amounts of oversight and control and, and rules and regulations, code of conduct, and very, very you know, standardized kind of structures. In terms of transit security, transit, you know, special constables, whatever label it is, they're different in every organization. And then what happens, and, and I'll speak to Metrolink so I'm more familiar with it, but the so they're they're called customer protection officers now. They they were called they were called transit safety officers, they were called special constables, transit enforcement officers. Over the years, the folks at Metrolinks have been reorganized more times than I can count. Even the time from 2012 till when I retired in 2021, we went through two major reorgs. They reorged again once I left. And they moved from different, or so you know, when, I, when I was hired, we were in customer service and we moved from customer service to security and safety. And then we moved from safety and security to operations and now they're back. So what ends up happening is, and it's just a whole variety of things that move the expectations around. And when I arrived, I, I did that thing that you're supposed to do. And, and uh, you know, it's not my first rodeo. So I sat down and I talked to a lot of the, the, the senior officers when I arrived at Metrolinx. I said, you know, what's the deal? You know, and, you know, what's the history? And, and you know, just trying to get a lay of the land. And, and the one the one fellow, and, and he was one of the union reps, and I respect him enormously because he, he did good work. But he basically said, Bill, directors, they come and go. You'll come and go too. Like we've seen, I don't know, and, you know, he, he didn't have the exact number, but he said, you all come in with your, your different programs. You want to change this and do this, and then you go, and then someone else comes in and does it over again. It changes everything back. So what you're seeing is a cycle, and it, you know, it's not just the TTC, and it's not just uh, Metrolinx. I'm sure it's in, in most organizations. It is policing. You know, the commissioners change, the chiefs change, mm-hmm. but when they change, and make no mistake, new commissioner, new chief will change things. But fundamentally, the you know overall the, the landscape doesn't turn upside down. There was a term that was used um, before I got to, to Metrolinx, and it was called break glass when needed. And it was the way the special constables felt over the years is that when they were needed, they broke the glass, brought them out, used them, and that ooh, you whoa, you, you, we don't want to scare the customers. We're going to put you back away. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was I was alive to that fact. So Brian, to your point, I think it's probably fair to say that pick a company or a transit agency. If you were doing security in uh, transit. For 20 years, you've probably seen X number of changes in new bosses. And I think, honestly, and I, you know, <laughs> I know if you talk to some of my people, they'd say the same thing about Bill Grzynski. He didn't support me. Well, you know, it's tough when you're in a transit agency where security is a cost center. And yeah, you're important, but so is running the buses and doing all the other things. So the, the, the pe- people running, you know, the top layer of a transit company, their number one issue isn't security and, and what Bill's doing. It's about, you know, on-time performance. It's about safety. It's about customers and it's a fair box. And so where I'm going with this is sometimes the people doing the job, the rank and file looking after security for a transit company are looking up going, really? You know, he yeah. changed it again. Um, and more importantly, and, and to, to, to your point, I, I do want to finish this off because in policing, if, if Bill Krasinski makes a bad arrest and there's a complaint, I know what's going to happen to me. There's legislation that requires the, the investigation to be done, 30-day reports, goes to the Office of Police Complaint Commissioner, whatever they call it today. today. 
But there's there's a very, very regimented way of doing things. In you've touched on it, Brian, whether it's security or special con, there's not a regimented way of doing yeah. things. Yeah. There's a variety of different ways, and it changes from boss to boss. Now, I know that Metrolinx has made significant strides to try and improve the process around account basically accountability framework for their, their program. And I think ultimately, you know, the broader kind of conversation, maybe it goes to that summit I was talking about earlier, it's it's about a framework for accountability around not just special constables, but it's the the, the guard and security business as well, because you know this better than I do. But at the end of the day, there's no standards for training, for hiring, for uniform, for equipment. Um, Government of Ontario, this is another, you know, one of the, the summit things that, you know, basically the ministry, um, the ministry that I knew changed names several times, but uh, basically what was the ministry solicitor, correctional services, uh, solicitor general correctional services, whatever it's being called today, has been studying the special constable program since before Bill Grothinski took a hired in 2012. And we, we had a whole series uh, of different consultations around what I just talked about, hiring standards, training standards, uniform standards, helping the public understand what a special constable is, what they can and can't do. That needs to be a priority. And, yeah. and it, you know, there's a, an organization called the Ontario Special Constables Association. Um, they, they have done good work. They've got a, a lot of attention. They tend to, uh, you know, look at things, my, my criticism of them, and as much as I respected what they did, it was more of a frontline approach rather than a, you know, like the OECP, the Ontario Associated Chiefs of Police. And there needs to be both. There needs to be yeah. an understanding what what the bosses need and, and what the rank and file need. And I think overall, there's a lot of there's a lot of overlap. So that's a long-winded way of saying, yeah, I get it, Brian. That you know, your your nephew wouldn't feel supported because. I think if you ask that same question of any special constable or any security guard or any person that's working in a place where the rules change, depending on, you know, whether you're working for customer service today or safety security or operations tomorrow, the game changes. And, and, yeah. and it's on the folks on the front line. You said it really well about uh, the uh, difference between the police and, and transit uh, special constables or safety officers. The police, no matter who the chief is, no matter who the inspector or superintendent is, there's rules that are consistent, okay? So everyone knows the lay of the land. You talk about the regulations, the police service board, the oversight mechanisms. Uh, I think that's what's lacking in, in, in transit safety because when you have a agency like a special constable group or a security group reporting to a lay committee, the business, it's at the whim of the business because that keeps changing. Would it not be an idea to create a, a services board, police services board, or special constable services board, or have the like your officers are under the uh, authority of the Ontario Provincial Police, I believe, TTC and the Toronto Police. Well, why aren't they accountable to that service board in, and not the CEO that may not understand security, safety, or policing? Yeah, it's, it's a fair question, Brian, and I think ultimately that's. I think something the ministry has to establish is, is you know, the overarching framework uh, of how we, we manage these these entities. Because, you know, the other the other issue is, uh, you know, the bosses are saying we don't want a police force. But when you look at the average special constable, body armor, use of force equipment, yeah. um, you know, powers of arrest. And I know that scares some, some, some of the people in charge. But having said that, there's a good reason that that program's in place. And I think, you know, overall... Uh, this predates me, but back when, whenever it was in the 80s, uh, somebody in, in Go Transit thought, you know, what do I need to do? Do I need special constables? One of the best things they ever did was make that decision. Um, and the irony of it is, yeah, the special constables appointed for uh, Metrolink or appointed by the commissioner of the OVP, uh, the one police service for the most part, we never had any interactions with. But the reason was, is one of the challenges of, of working at Metrolink. It's it's multiple police jurisdictions. If you mm -hmm. count the RCMP, the OPP, and everyone else, you're you're approaching 14 or 15 different police agencies that you're interacting with across. So having one kind of framework for a special constable for Metrolinks and TTC and you know so on and so forth would help the policing community understand what they're dealing with. Because frankly, um, you know. There was many times, many, many times where our, our team would get to the scene of something, you know, pick one. It was a fatality or a collision or, or whatever, or an incident in one of our stations. 
and the local police are looking at you going who are you and what are you doing and you know special constable what's that so we worked hard um really to to try and you know establish a, a better understanding of who we were to our customers and the broader community and that included the local police and i know that that's that's a that's a job that continues and it's it's absolutely crucial um to keep our customers safe because ultimately the, the overall, I think we've touched on this very well. Overall, keeping people safe on transit is a really complex, very, very challenging job because there are so many different pieces of it. And uh, having a, a strong sense of relationships and partnerships, and you know, we all have heard the, the comment about you know you don't you don't exchange your business cards at, at the critical incident. You the, the, the more people are talking, and I, I think that's what I'm seeing missing here. And okay, and I apologize in advance if someone in the Ontario government or the city of Toronto has already got a, a summit set up. You're going to invite all the different players. But to me, this is a no-brainer. Um, Transport Canada, one of the agencies we used to interact with, Transport Canada did something really, really well. And that was at least once, sometimes twice a year, they would get all the players. And it wasn't just transit, but anyone that had the surface um, and infrastructure responsibility, so bridges and some of the tunnels. They would bring these people in and you'd get a full day lay of the land of security challenges, some of the risks. They have some top-notch players. But what it did, it got you in the room with people that you wouldn't normally talk to so that, you know, if something happens. And what they started doing towards the end, and I know this is more of your, your wheel, wheelhouse, Brian, but it was interaction because Union Station is this island downtown Toronto, but you're surrounded with, you know, Scotiabank, Sky Dome, Brookfield, all of the path people, this enormous ecosystem. And for the most part, all the people in charge of those disparate pieces were really, really busy and didn't talk to each other. Yeah. And, and this is absolutely crucial. You want to see it solve some of the issues around Union Station. <laughs> you need more than Union Station people. You need all those other folks, you know, including Ripley's and, and you, you pick a place um, because all the customers and all the problems all come to the same place from the same place. If you know what I mean, but it's, it's just all interconnected. Yeah. You, you're bringing back some, uh, some memories there. <laughs> We've had yeah, the same challenges, the same issues. Um, I, I'll give you a quick story because you triggered me. I think I got PTSD on this one, but it was an incident and I won't say it wasn't in Toronto. I'll say that, but I won't say the city that it happened in, but it, it just speaks exactly what you were talking about. We, we own the building and a guy committed suicide, by jumping off, the top parking lot, landing on the tracks below. Um, and we had four different agencies arguing who had jurisdiction over the incident. Meanwhile, the guy's still lying on the track. Like no one took ownership and, you know, the media starting to show up and it just became a real, you know, disaster in terms of, of, of what it looked like. Thankfully, it wasn't a major story in that sense that it got a lot of press, but I just sat there going, this is so wrong. Like it's got to, there's got to be a better way to integrate all these stakeholders and have them talk to each other before the incident happens, not start debating about it at the time. And, you know, to add to that, uh, Luke and I were very active downtown in that community you talked about around Union Station. We worked really, really hard to try and build consensus. And I think we had some successes, but I got to tell you, the success we enjoyed was not institutionalized success. It was on uh, the relationships that were developed with police commanders, security directors, but we were never successful to create that legacy where it became the way business was done. It became part of the Toronto Police way of doing things, the Metrolink's uh, way of doing things, the security company ways of doing things. It was just incredibly frustrating because smart people know the answer, but there are so many obstacles to be putting it together. So we understand exactly what you say with the challenges you faced in uh, transit safety. Yeah. It's, it's funny, we're having this conversation, but, uh, you know, back when um, the RCMP arrested the, the two fellows for the plot against the, the VIA. Yeah, Montreal, yeah. And so there was, it was Transport Canada sent an alert out right across the country, the teleconference. And where I'm going with this is no one, who to, no one knew who to talk to at, at Go Transit because the guy that I replaced retired, they didn't know my name. It was a, a real, and when I realized <laughs> they didn't even know who to call. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, obviously the alarm bells went off. So we went through extraordinary efforts to build relationships with all the key players. And, and I won't name them all here, but you know who I'm talking about. And so when Aaron Driver uh, shows up and he wants to come down to Union Station, according to Ralph Goodale, because uh, it's never been absolutely confirmed, you know, Union was his target. But make no mistake, 
when that situation happened, they knew to call. And, you know, we were on first name basis and things were completely different. And where I'm going with that is one of my goals before I retire was to, to your point, Brian, institutionalize that, you know. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, and I can tell you, I, I heard recently, that's not the case. And if that's not the case, I'm I'm deeply disappointed because we spent a lot of time and effort uh, to do that. So I think this goes back to what, you know, whether it's Transport Canada doing it or other agencies, City of Toronto, um, institutionalizing a formal way of making sure the key players are always in uh, the room together. Uh, there, and it comes and goes. There was, there was times where the City of Toronto, due to some of the issues, there was a a time we were doing joint incident management uh, training, IMS 200, and we had TTC in the room, and Union Station Security, and our team, and it was magnificent. But it tended to be one and done. Yeah. And, and that can't be the case. It has to be, you know, mandatory. It's like, if it's not mandatory, you know, as I say, if it's not measured, it, it, it doesn't get done. Well, some of this stuff should be, this goes back to policing. The policing has accountability standards. Mm -hmm. And there's a requirement of police service to have certain things. There's no requirement from a government perspective of a transit agency to have security that meets one, two, three, three, like the adequacy standards in policing. So everything policing does isn't wrong or bad. And this is why when you know when you hear I don't want a police force, well, hang on, what do you really want? What do you not want? Because you know, one of the things I'm proudest of, absolutely proudest thing, because it was so darn hard to to, to pull off, is by the time I, I left Metrolinx, we had an explosive detection canine program. And that happened because of frontline officers who had a passion for the program. And it happened because we had support from the top. It happened because the Toronto Police Service bent over backwards to help us get it off the, the ground. And there was always this concern about, oh my goodness, the dogs are going to scare the customers. Yeah. Well, we rolled those dogs out the first day and there was more media at the Union Station and, and Dash, the floppy-eared, beautiful dog. People were loving it. And even the, the pointy-eared dogs that people were concerned about, they weren't a concern because people were actually reassured by having the dogs present rather than being scared of a dog. So there were some things we did that were policey that were enormously successful. And, and I think what you need to do is, is peel back the onion in terms of, okay, the things that policing are doing that you don't want, and, and there's lots of controversy around policing these days. We know that. So there's certain things we don't want. But there's many things that policing are doing really well. There's a phenomenal number of fantastic police leaders are doing good work. Uh, Neil DeBard, who was the, uh, the chief of transit policing in Vancouver, he's moved on to Delta. Yeah. If you look at what he does, and he's just recently come up with a program to deal with police misconduct, which is it's beyond magnificent. Blue Line Magazine just had an, uh, uh, an article on it. It did fundamentally institutionalize, to take your term, Brian, institutionalize the requirement for, for police officers to take action where things are going awry. And then there's other things involved. It's a framework. It's magnificent. Um, I think we need the same sort of framework for security and, and safety and transit policing. Or transit I, I, I agree. You know, I, we mentioned the Aaron Driver incident years ago. Uh, it brings back memories because I remember that morning in Toronto and it was, uh, we woke up and we saw a heavy police presence in downtown Toronto. Everyone knew something was up, but no one knew really what was up. Uh, we in the buildings and the towers, it's estimated there's a quarter million people in those uh, bank towers that if something happens that are going to hit the street, and because of relationships we had with INSET, some senior leaders in INSET called us to say, this is what's happening, this is the information we have, and we were able to manage it at our end. But that, again, was not because it was institutionalized. You would think that everyone knows everyone else. It was because of personal relationships with people. And I, I, I think that's got to change. Easier said than done. When you talk also about this fear that we don't want our transit special constables to be police. There's a misunderstanding of what police are, and to your point, there is hardly any occupation as heavily regulated as police are. I mean, plumbers aren't, even doctors and teachers aren't. You, you know, so this notion that the police are a bunch of wild men with guns has to stop because we're just shooting ourselves in the foot. We need oversight, we need responsible police and responsible leadership. But the situation we're faced with in transit right now. Uh, is it going to go away on its own? A lot of things have to happen at the same time. And the special constable security piece of it is part of it. It's one of many. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. And 
The the other thing you're, you're talking about this the, the relationship based is is um, and and I said this at one of those meetings with all the key, all those security people in the room, and I said it you know coming from a policing perspective where you know I used to be in the room hearing what you guys would say, and now I'm on, on the outside in the special constable world. I feel like the guy up against the glass with my face pressed yeah. to the glass, not allowed in the room or to hear what's going on in there. And I said, but what you're talking about is going to impact me, my customers, my staff. I need to be. So there there was really good strides made to break down some of those barriers. But I think what ends up happening is exactly what you're saying, Brian, is when you know one person retires, they're gone. And the trust yeah. goes with it. It's, it, you, you just, it, it takes a lot of trust to, you know, or you formalize it, legislate it, require it to be a certain way, but you can't, you know, you can't do that without people willing to take a chance that, to your point, people in bank towers have every much right to understand what the threat is as the, the people on the street, um, because ultimately people on, on, in the bank towers may be the ones that see, you know, Aaron coming down the street, so to speak, yeah. rather than just another guy. Yeah, and I think the challenge is I was talking to a friend of mine, a retired Mountie, just today, in fact, and we were talking about some of the challenges during the 2010 G20, you know, uh, in Toronto. And uh, uh, it was, who's going to be invited to the table? And it's this notion that, well, you can't talk to these guys because they're not cops, they're just security. Or you can't talk to these guys. You know, it's really understanding who the stakeholders are. Having those trusted relationships and bringing people to the table. Funny story uh, that uh, happened back then. Uh, Toronto police, because of relationships we had, brought us, the security community in the bank towers and the financial district, into the planning. And uh, I heard this story from one of the senior leaders in Toronto police that when they mentioned that we're working closely with the, our our uh, uh, civilian partners in the security and protection world, this senior Mountie says, really? as partners and he said yeah and he says well how can you trust them and the superintendent from toronto police looked at this guy and said how can i trust you i've been working with these guys for 15 years i know these guys they need to know so i think this king the, the, these fiefdoms have to come down we've got to get the stakeholders around the table and we've got to look at what's the common good not the 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 uh the territoriality way we look at things protecting your kingdoms yeah luke, totally agree with that. even quiet luke well, I dropped off for a second. I don't know. I had technical issues. I got a new internet provider. Or you cut me off when you were responding because, you know, I'd probably say something and that I find suspicious. I, I but, just thought maybe you had to go to the bathroom or something. Welcome back. <laughs> no, I don't know what happened. Okay. It's, uh, it's a new provider I switched to, but I've had no issues with them until until just now. So I call It's a simple concept, them. Luke. You know, no matter who the provider is, if you don't pay every 30 days, they cut you off. You're going to talk with your history of technical issues. Okay. Um, all right. Look, I'm keeping tabs on time, and I want to finish off, uh, make sure we cover off uh, my last point, which is, and we've already talked about it, but I think, you know, originally my question was, as usual, you know, what's the way forward? What what are some of the solutions we can look to? And and I don't think it's really technology based or uh, you know anything in terms of, of physical security. I think I think from the sounds of it. Um, and from what I've researched, the, the transit systems have done quite a good job of, of implementing those types of measures. And there's still lots of things that they can do, absolutely. But I think the real issue going forward is, is the people, the unknown, like how are people going to react? And, and in, on a larger scale, what is society going to do to alleviate some of those challenges? On two, I think on two levels, first of all, there's the, the issue of, or the failure of social supports uh, that's created some of the challenges in terms of mental illness and distress. But on the other side of it, on the law enforcement side of it, there's no punishment. There's no like people just don't care anymore. And that, I think, is a problem, too, especially with the younger um, people on the, on those systems. You see them jumping turnstiles. They know there's no repercussions. Right. They're assaulting people. They know they're going to they're get a slap on the wrist. So I think that that's another part of the problem that needs to be fixed before we can start really making the system more safe for everybody. Yeah, it is about a caliber. So, you know, they, you know. You've touched on it, Luke, in terms of, you know, overall, there's 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 a great deal of concern around the justice system, particularly around bail right now. Chiefs of Police Association right across Canada and, and here in Ontario have all engaged. Um, the bottom line is there's too too many people that, you know, you hear the term revolving door that are, are arrested and then back out. And, you know, we, we, we know the tragedies only too well that that's led to. 
But you know, it, it just speaks to it, it's a it's not a one size fits all solution. But Brian, you, you mentioned something earlier that I think you know is important to the conversation, and it's that whole notion of professionalization. So right now, you know, the police have a certain standard. We talked about that ad nauseum, so to speak. But you know, in terms of what the security professionals have, you know, guiding principles. Um, or special constable program, if those those people in special constable program or security professionals want to be engaged and trusted and respected by you know the police or the communities they serve, the overall level of professionalism has to be as high as it can be. So where I'm going with that, it's not about picking, you know, looking at this provider versus that provider, but you know, having a standard that requires if you're going to be a security guard. These are the minimum requirements. This is the training. This is the uniform. And the same for special constables. Anyone providing security services, particularly in a uniform capacity, there should be expectations. So the, the whole notion of professionalizing the people that are, are, are dedicated to um, keeping the system safe. Uh, Luke, I think you talked about closed circuit TV in terms of, you know, who has what, you know. Technology won't solve it all, but again, I think you know making sure that the technology that's in place in one excuse me one transit agency versus another is it, it meets a standard. So that you know I won't get into this too deep, but I guess I have some insider knowledge on this one. But at the end of the day, you know technology is part of it. And then you know lastly, I, I think is coming up with some solutions to the societal issues that you know we've circled around and around and around here but also recognizing you know sitting here doing nothing or doing the same old same old is, is not going to be the solution so it's a big one this this is a, a really big challenge I, I think you know what I say to to, to uh, yourself Brian and Luke it's a conversation um, from where you perch you can keep you know going. Uh, I know that there's there is interest from the Toronto media on this issue. Uh, I've had I've had contact with with a couple of the, a couple of reporters that wanted to speak to me about it. And I I declined because they said I'm the retired guy. I, you know I've moved on. This is someone else's uh, to speak about. But I I do think that those in in the business um, have an opportunity here because there's an appetite yeah. uh, from the public. They they want to be safe. Uh, not just in transit, they want to be safe in their communities. So this whole notion that, you know, what can we do to make transit safer, safer, but also make our communities safer? So because it's not an either or proposition, because the criminals, you know, they're they're not just taking transit and not just staying in, in, in the bank towers. They're, they go up back and forth. So we're, we're dealing with a, a demographic that that's uh, moving around. So it's a long-winded way of saying I think there's lots of work to be done. Uh, I, I, I commend you, you, you uh, as as individuals who are security leaders, uh, and you know having having provided an opportunity to you know get my thoughts, you know because this is a conversation that uh, honestly I haven't had a lot of time to think about it since I've retired because I have I have moved on, but it's doing the, a little bit of research and doing a little bit of conversation I've had with, with different people around this topic, it's clear there's a real appetite to do better. Well, and it's akin to surfing, you know, you can't serve if the waves aren't there and you can't serve if you don't have the right type of waves, but when you have the right type of waves, that's the time you could serve and do surf and have a great time. This is a great time now to make changes because you're right. The public are talking about it. It's in the news. Okay. So we need visionary leaders to step forward to take advantage of the situation because once it's no longer in the news, we've lost the opportunity until the next time it's back in the news. And yeah. a friend of mine says, nothing helps a good security, uh, nothing helps the security budget like a good terrorist attack. And you don't want to have to wait for something terrible to happen before you start fixing the things that we need to protect us. Yeah. You said it's a good time, but we're out of time. <laughs> and I think that's a good place to attend it. I think, uh, Bill, you summarized it well, and, and, and Brian, adding your comments at the end there, uh, there's a lot of a lot of work to do. It's a, it's a very complex issue. It's not just about hopping on a train or, or, or a bus and, and making that process secure. It's, it's a societal issue, as, as you hit on. Um, but I think, you know, if people don't talk about it, then it doesn't get fixed. Um, at least we're talking about it. We're certainly trying to spur the conversation with some other people that we know 
Uh, and, and to your point, if we just spin our wheels, we just, the definition of insanity, right? Just keep doing the yeah. same thing and nothing's changing. Has to change. We got to figure it out. Um, but for myself, I thank you for uh, for joining us today. I really found the conversation uh, interesting. Uh, great to hear from someone who's actually been there, experienced it, has some valuable experience to share with, with our listeners. Um, and so with that, I'm going to turn over to Brian and uh, yourself for some closing comments and we'll sign off. Yeah, Bill, I just want to thank you very much. You have a wealth of knowledge. You're a humble person, but you have a lot to offer. And uh, I appreciate you coming on with us today and talking. I know that there was a lot of interest uh, leading up to this episode. And I think uh, it's uh, people are going to appreciate what you said. A lot of supporters. I just hope we can rally the troops and people behind the problem right now to make some uh, positive change. So thanks a lot, Bill. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. And I just want to finish off by saying, you know, there's a great Roosevelt quote about being in the arena. And I just want to acknowledge anyone that's watching this that is a provider of frontline security services, irrespective of uniform, non-uniform. If you're out there keeping people safe, you deserve a huge amount of credit because it's really tough right now. Everyone's got an iPhone. Everyone's a critic. Social media is just, you know, so hard on people trying to do what I think most of us want those people wearing uniforms doing, keeping everyone safe. So uh, to those doing it, thank you for what you do. And, and thank you for picking up the torch. Because honestly, if I was a young person right now, as I was looking at a policing or security career or doing anything else, I'll tell you, like those that are picking up, you know, putting on a uniform and, and going out and serving, uh, I, I have enormous respect for them. I really do. Well said. Well, well said, and not not often enough said. Um, and uh, you know, to the guys that are listening, I know they'd appreciate that because they they often get uh, the short end of the stick as we talked about. Um, so, with that, folks, we're going to be signing off. We'll talk to you in a couple of weeks with our next episode, uh, episode eight. We still haven't figured out what the topic is, but I'm sure Brian and I will patch up uh, some kind of a scheme for that. Uh, but until then, stay safe and uh, be careful on public transit, Brian. Bye, everyone. Thank you. That concludes this podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening and will join us in a couple of weeks for our latest episode. Please remember to like and follow us on our sponsor's webpage, brianclayman.com, where you can leave us your comments and suggest topics you'd like to hear about in future episodes. Until next time, thanks for listening and don't forget to protect your assets.